I want you to turn to the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2 today. Matthew chapter 2. And I want to look at this Christmas story in a little different light, possibly, than you've ever looked at it before. I've titled the message today, The Battle for Christmas. And church, we need to recognize that we are in a battle. There is a battle raging around us. There are those that want to do away with Christmas. We see it in our culture. It's very, very evident in our culture today. Instead of writing Christmas, they write Xmas, or they call a Christmas tree a holiday tree, or instead of Christmas, they refer to a holiday season. There is a battle going on because the, the enemy wants to do away with the celebration of the greatest gift God ever gave mankind when he gave his only begotten son. Amen? Amen. And so every Christmas we come to this battle. And we see that battle even here in the beginning on the first Christmas. So join with me and let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to read a a good portion of the Christmas story, but it never grows tiresome. Look at verse 1 with me, chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now we're going to come back to that. I want you to remember that. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. Notice Jesus had grown. So so many times in our pageantry, we have the three wise men coming to the manger. That's not correct. We do that for simplicity in in the Christmas programs. Jesus was a young child by this time. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. That should be our heart. Amen. When we come to this time of year, and, we, and we've talked about this, Jesus most likely was not born on December the 25th. Most Bible scholars think he was born in September, maybe October, because the, she, the, the shepherds were in the, the, the fields at that time watching the flocks. But church, we have chosen this day, and this is a day that we recognize that God gave his only begotten son. And in that, we can celebrate every day. Amen? So we should should have this exceedingly great joy. 
And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshipped him. I talked about this last, night, uh, last Sunday night. I don't think they were bowing out of respect to the king. I believe they were overwhelmed by the presence of God because it said they fell down. They were overcome. Do you realize God, his presence and coming near him is just overwhelming. Amen. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warmed in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. That's important. Herod wanted to destroy Christmas. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So because of the wise men and the interaction that Herod had with them, he determined that the child who was to be king wouldn't be any older than two years. So he he chose from two years and younger and had all of the children murdered. When this was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We see in this passage of Scripture two two powerful things, and I want you to go back to verse 1 and look with me. There's two phrases there. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. There was an intersection at this time of God giving his gift of his son and and bringing the life of God. His grace and his mercy was being poured out. And there was an intersection in the time he did it was in the time of Herod the king. Herod was known as a brutal, cruel, uh, you could call him a terrorist, enthroned the things that he did were unspeakable he was called Herod the Great and actually that we know there were at least four King Herods he was called Herod the Great because of his political ability he was a great politician and because of his building ability he he uh, built several wonderful things in Israel you can even go today and see them still But he was a cruel man who was jealous and he was interested in his own kingdom instead of God's kingdom. Church, you and I are here 
And God has a plan for our lives, and it's not to build our own kingdom. It's to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? His light in us, making a difference in the darkness. The dark, as the song went earlier, the darkness trembles because of the light of Christ. Amen? But I want you to see this intersection because we're in a battle and, and here we see a battle. We see Herod wanting to stop Christmas, wanting to kill the Christ child, wanting to stop it permanently. Why? Because he was self-centered, he was jealous, and he wanted to rule. That same spirit is in the world today. It hasn't disappeared with Herod's death. We still encounter that spirit today. And that same spirit desires to destroy Christmas in our time as well. Amen? So the call for us is to say, devil, you do whatever you want, but greater is he who is in me than he who's in this world. Amen? Christ in me is greater, and I'm going to let the light of Jesus shine, and I'm going to see the kingdom of God advance. I'm not, it doesn't matter what man is trying to build in his own kingdom. I'm going to see that the kingdom of God advances with everyone that I meet. Because I'm going to let the love and the life of Jesus in me advance and touch whoever I can. Amen? I, I, I like this story and the power that's there because it relates to us today. It hasn't changed. Now I want us to think about this for a moment. Herod is not the Grinch who stole Christmas. He wasn't green and he didn't live on a cave in the mountain and look down and get upset because people were celebrating. He isn't Scrooge. He's not a story that was made up. Herod, there is multiple evidence of the life of Herod and the things that he did. On his deathbed, the last five days of his life, he ordered one of his own family to be killed because he didn't want them to take his throne. He had three of his sons murdered and two different wives. And it was all about his kingdom and not giving up rule and controlling everything. And he, 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 he was so deceived at the end of his life, he didn't even realize that in a few days he would be gone and he was having people murdered so that they couldn't take his throne. That's hard for me to imagine. When I think of my children, I want them to far succeed and go further in life than what I do. Amen? Amen. And especially in the area of their spirituality. I, I want my kids to, to be you know, on fire for Christ and to make a difference and to share his love and his life and his word to do whatever God calls them to do. But Herod wasn't interested in anyone else except himself. So he murdered all these people in a fit of jealous rage. He, he, he was worried and concerned about his kingdom. And that same spirit is in the world today. That's the same battle that we face today. Now one of his wives, I told you he was a political king and he, he knew how to maneuver politically. And 
And I'm not saying politics are bad. I want Christians in, that feel the call to be involved in politics. Amen? We need to have the light of Jesus in our politics. I know some people that back off. I even heard a pastor uh, not long ago say, well, I don't think Christians should even be in politics or care about politics. Well, we're to take the light of Jesus into every area in the world. Every, amen? And that includes politics. And so I encourage people, and I thank God for Christians that, that have a heart to make a difference. But King Herod understood politics. He was a great politician. That was one of the reasons they called him Herod the Great. And, and he even married uh, one of his wives because she, of her ancestry. It, it led back to the Maccabees, and they were respected leaders that stood up against Rome and, and the, the people loved them and, and she could trace her, her heritage back to these uh, leaders. And so he married her simply because he thought it would gain him favor with the Jews. So he was very political but he, and, he, he, and he was a great politician. But we see also that he was so concerned about building his own kingdom that nothing else really mattered to him. And what I want us to see today, church, is that same spirit is alive and well today. It's still among us. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, John addresses this. He said, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. But which we, by which we know that it is the last hour. So John is telling us there that this same spirit that is against, anti means against, it was, they, Herod was against Christ. John is acknowledging in his day there were those that were against Christ. And there are those that are still against Christ. And I want to ask you why. Why is there so much persecution around the world against Jesus? More than, more than any other religion, any other religious figure, Jesus is persecuted more than anyone else. Why when the Taliban took over Afghanistan again, were they hunting down the pastors and hunting down the Christians and they were being martyred? Church, it's because Jesus is God. He's the Son of the living God. He is, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lily of the Valley, and the bright and morning star. He is the real deal. He's not about religion. He's about God saving us. And you and I need that salvation. Amen, because all of us have failed. Turn to your neighbor and point at him and say, I failed. <laughs> we all come short of the glory of God. That's what the word says. Oh, wow. There's, there's like everybody around Tyler right now is pointing towards him. <laughs> Just kidding. But there is still an antichrist spirit in the world today. And it's coming against Christ. Why? Because the same antichrist spirit that 
was in the life of Herod is the same Antichrist spirit that we face today. It wants to get us to focus on our kingdom. And how many realize it can even happen in the church? I know pastors that it's all about them and it's all about their church and their little kingdom. And I'll be the first to tell you, you're not here because of me. You're not here because of our worship team. You're here because we love Jesus and the presence of God is in this place. And we hunger for Him. We thirst for Him. We want His touch on our lives. Amen? This same Spirit, it's a Spirit that's against anything godly. It comes against us today. In fact, everybody remember Charlie Brown's Christmas? You like that? It's interesting that Charles Schultz put in a powerful statement by Linus in that, in that cartoon. And the producers tried to talk him out of it and remove that from the, the cartoon or the, the little movie. And it's still, what I love about it is it's still played every Christmas. It's still on TV every Christmas. You go to Walmart and there it is, Charlie Brown's Christmas. Amen? Because every one of us needs a Savior. Every one of us has made mistakes. But when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, then we know that we're right with God and this great joy fills our lives. And we know that no matter what we face in this life, no matter how difficult it is, that it does not compare Romans Chapter 8 says, with the glory that we will one day experience in God's presence. It doesn't compare. Amen. That's where we are today. I told you that uh, Herod was a king that was political. And he, he struggled because he wasn't Jewish and the people didn't recognize him as their king. He was actually an Edomite. And those people hated the Jews, and they, they were against them. They were hostile towards them. And the wife I told you, Miriam, he, he, he married her because of the Maccabees, and he wanted that tie with them to try to gain favor. So he was great for two things, his political ability and his building. He was, he was a remarkable politician, but he was yet brutal and ruthless. But secondly, I didn't tell you about this. He was called Herod the Great because he was an incredible builder. There are at least three places that you can travel to in Israel today and see the remains of what he had built. First of all, there's a harbor in ancient Caesarea that he had built. It's south of Haffa, and it's about 80 miles north of Tel Aviv. And it's named Caesarea because it was another political ploy by Herod. He was trying to gain favor with Caesar. So he named it Caesarea. So every decision that he made was to, to kind of maneuver himself to gain favor or to extend his political power and ability. Masada is another place that Herod developed. It was... Uh, a lavish, lavish, uh, impressive desert 
um, spas, what it was. In fact, it was so lavish and the architecture was so beautiful that it would actually make Las Vegas uh, look like a second-rate desert facility. (laughs) And he did that. He had that built. And there's one other place that he had built. The Western Wailing Wall. We see it all the time on TV, on the news. The Jewish people coming to the wall. Herod the Great was the one that had that, those stones cut and had the, the, the temple mound extended. And he was, again, trying to gain favor with the Jewish people. He did all these things to try to maneuver and structure so that people would love him. And church, I want to encourage you today, don't build your own kingdom. Surrender your life to Jesus and let Him build His kingdom through you. That's what brings real fulfillment in your life. I can tell you that because I've been there. When I, when I left Bible college and Melinda and I were young and a lot thinner <laughs> and I had a lot more hair, we went into business And for years, we invested in this business and we expanded the business. We had had contracts with various major railroads. We had a fleet of vans and we would pick up the railroad crews sometimes off of the train where their time was up and they would pull over into a siding and, and have to stop there and we'd have to bring a fresh crew to them. Or other times there would be more trains traveling uh, east and there were west, so all the crews would, would pile up and we'd have to even it out so we would take them from one depot to another. We, we were operating in, in Arkansas, in Missouri, in Illinois. We were operating over in Pennsylvania. We operated in New Jersey. We were in, in multiple states and the business kept growing and kept growing. And we were making good money. But God had another plan. I came back at my grandfather's funeral. And I was excited to come back because I was doing good. I was making money. I had tailor-made suits for Neiman Marcus. $1,000 suits. I had jewelry. I had all these toys. I had a new Ford pickup truck. I had a Corvette, new Corvette. Melinda had a new Lincoln. According to the world, I was doing good and I was building my kingdom. But God had other plans. And at that funeral, God got a hold of me. And he said, out of all your grandfather's sons and daughters, none of them followed me into the ministry. And he said, that's changing today. I had multiple uh, other cousins and my aunt, my uncle, there were three of my uncles and then my mom and 
her sister. There were five of them and all of their family. And, and none of us had followed the Lord in, in the footsteps of my grandfather into ministry. But that day, God got a hold of my heart. And that day, I gave him my kingdom. I said, Lord, I don't care. I just want to follow you. I want to do what you called me to do. And over the next year, systematically, we began to lose every contract. A new contract would come up and we would bid on it. And you'd bid by the mile. And it was around 50 cents a mile that we would bid for, for the cost to take these crews back and forth. Sometimes we would bump it up to 55, sometimes 52 or 3. Every contract that we had, we began to, to bid on them as they were, went through this year to renew those contracts, and we lost every contract. It didn't matter. You know, we kind of got a clue once we were lost to two or three of them that we were going to have to lower our, our price. So we lowered the price, and guess what? We just knew we were going to get that contract, but somebody else would undercut us. We had one contract left, and we were in New Jersey. Is anybody here from New Jersey? Okay, I won't say anything bad. I didn't like New Jersey. The, uh, the, the, away from the city, it was a beautiful state. But where the railroads were, it was rough. We had one contract left, and we bid on that, and we lost it. And the Lord just spoke to my heart. It's time to build my kingdom instead of yours. We packed up everything we had. We went back to Texas, and I felt like a total failure. We lost everything. But God had a plan. And I'll tell you today, I don't regret that at all. I don't regret it at all. I am thankful that God had other plans for my life to help see His kingdom advance, to see hearts and lives change, to see people come to know Jesus and the love of God. There's nothing I'd rather do. There's nothing I'd rather do do than tell you about Jesus and how much he loves you. So church, I want to challenge you. Don't get caught up in building your kingdom. I'm not saying you can't have a business. I'm not saying that you can't see that business grow. That's not it, it at all. But I'm telling you, don't place everything in your life into that kingdom building. You recognize God gave this business to me. It's God's and he can do whatever he wants to do with it. Amen. Amen? Be a kingdom builder for Jesus. Herod had that spirit in his life. And I want to tell you we're susceptible to that same spirit today. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says, Do not give place to the devil. We can give the enemy a place in our lives. And you say, well, how do we do that, pastor? Well, if you look at the context of, around that verse, you see that in verse 27, 
or in 25, it talks about lying. In 26, it talks about anger. In verse 28, it talks about stealing. In verse 29, it talks about corrupt words. In verse 31, it talks about bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. All of that is around what Paul was telling the Ephesian church. If you let these things into your life and you don't turn from them and repent from them, you will give place to the enemy where he will have a hold in your life in these things. We, we can see that today. We can, we can see people that struggle with anger or bitterness or resentment or lust or a chemical. They've allowed things into their lives and instead of turning to Jesus and saying, I recognize I don't need these in my life. Lord, come and deliver me from them. They give in to them. And church, I want to tell you, Jesus is still the chain breaker. Amen. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to live in his love and his joy and his grace and his mercy. He doesn't want any of these things to take hold in your life and hinder you from all that God has for you. Amen? 2,000 years ago, that spirit came against the Christ and he still comes against Christ today. John 10.10 says, The thief comes not except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Amen? How many want that abundant life in Jesus? That's why he came, to give us abundant life, to restore that relationship with the Heavenly Father. Now there's something I want you to notice in verse 3 in our text. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Everybody say troubled. And it says all Jerusalem with him. Now there's different kinds of troubled. A lot of us experience at Christmas that troubling because we've got, we're so busy and we've got to get this done and got to get this done. We, we've had, I've had two different major Christmas parties that I had to, to see come off and, and plan, one for the pastors in the region and then one at our church. And then uh, all the, the things you have to do for all your grandkids and your kids, and it, it can be troubling, can it? But that's not the troubling here. The word in the original Greek here is an inner turmoil, an inner grinding because you are confronted with godly values. Herod was confronted because he wanted to kill Christ. He knew it was wrong and inside. We, we know when we do something that isn't right. And that's how he was troubled in Jerusalem, it says, was troubled with him. There was, there was an inner turmoil. And that's why many times people can't stand to come to church. Because you're going to be confronted by the presence of Jesus. Amen? And you have a choice to make. Either you surrender that to him and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want your grace, your mercy, your love in my life. I want to be the light of Jesus to the world because Christ is in me. Or you can say, no, I'm going to remain on my throne and I'm going to remain building my kingdom. It happens all the time. 
People, people can't stand the presence of Jesus. And church, that's what I pray for. Not that they can't stand it, but that the presence of the Lord would be so present in this place, so weighty, that the glory of God would be manifested, that every one of us are challenged in that way. That if we, we harbor that sin and remain with it in our lives, that we're going to be troubled. Because church, there's nothing else more important than your relationship with God. You say, Pastor, this is kind of heavy for a Christmas message. It's because I love you. And I want to see God's best for you. I know what it's like. I just shared the testimony of what it's like to build your own kingdom and to get caught up in the things of the world. And it, it doesn't compare to saying, Lord, here I am. I'm a vessel in your hand. If you can use a donkey, you can use me. And I say that all the time. Lord, if you can use a donkey, you can use me. So he was uncomfortable. He was struggling. Now look at verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He wanted to use the Scriptures. Listen to this. This is important. He wanted to use the Scriptures for his own purposes. That doesn't work. People still do that today. I knew a, a, a guy that he knew the, some passages in the Word of God and he would come up to Christians and he would say, you know, God's Word says that if I ask you to give me something and, and I'm in need, that you have to do it. And he did, everywhere he went, he was, are you a Christian? Oh yeah? Oh, well, I really need this or I really need that. And he would manipulate the Scriptures. And, and church, we see that's what Herod was doing. That's that spirit of Antichrist. Church, we don't need to take God's Word and manipulate it. We need to take God's Word and live it. Amen? We need to proclaim it. We need to share it. Now look at uh, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem. And in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Herod was trying to destroy hope. Because Jesus is our hope. Amen? Jesus is our hope. So don't let the spirit of Antichrist or the spirit of Herod come and destroy your hope. As Christians, we have hope. Amen? I know it's difficult for, for those of us who are, are older in years and we've got children and grandchildren and sometimes our children aren't living for the Lord. I know some of you here have adult children that aren't living for Jesus. And I want to tell you, don't give up hope. You pray for them. You, you believe God's going to move in their life and He's going to bring them back to Jesus. 
Amen. Some of you are struggling. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you're, you're, you're struggling financially. You've, you're in debt over your head and you can't pay all the bills. Well, line yourself up with the Word of God. See what God's Word says about how to live out your finances and then give it to Him and don't lose hope. Amen? Don't lose hope. I've had so many financial miracles in my life. It's been amazing. When Melinda and I, I can't, left Anchor Point and we came here, the church couldn't pay me. There were less than 30 people here and, and we could barely pay for the light bill. And, and, but Melinda and I knew that God called us and we, we didn't hesitate. And there was one point where, where she ended her, she stayed for a few months and ended her teaching in the Nilchik and came and she didn't have a job here. And I didn't have a job here. I had a job, but it was a free job. <laughs> and guess what? We, we had cars and we had bills we needed to pay just like everybody else. But we knew that God called us here. We knew he was going to build his kingdom here. And we trusted him. Our hope was in Jesus. Amen. And I would get checks in the mail. I got checks from Texas from people that I have yet to meet to this day. And they'd send me a check and say, for $300 and say, uh, Pastor Michener, the Lord just laid this on my heart to send this to you. And I had another friend that called me up and he said, the Lord just stirred my heart. He said, I know what you're going through, Milt, and, and you've moved to that new church. And he said, he said I'm going to send you $1,200 a month for the next year. Don't lose hope. <laughs> Our hope's in Jesus. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen. Just come to him and say, say, Jesus, can you sell a few cattle? I need to pay my bills. <laughs> Whatever area you're struggling in, maybe it's your marriage. Don't give up hope. Maybe you're a couple and you've been wanting a child and it's been years and years and you haven't been able to have a child. Don't give up hope. Jesus is still the answer. Turn to somebody and tell them today, don't give up hope. Finally, and I'm going to close with this. I want you to notice the importance of Bethlehem. Jesus will be born there. And he's going to fulfill the ancient prophecy of Micah. He's going to come into the world as our Redeemer. Do you know why Bethlehem is known around the world today? It's because of Jesus. You and I wouldn't be talking about Bethlehem if Jesus had not been born there. Secondly, the Magi. They're interested in Bethlehem because they're seeking the King and they're seeking to worship Him. It's important to them to find the King and to worship Him. They understood this was no ordinary child. And thirdly, Herod seeks Bethlehem because he was on a seek and destroy mission to seek out the new king and to destroy him. 
to protect his own kingdom and his own throne. And church, this Christmas, worship team, you can come. I want you to guard your heart. Guard your family. Recognize when somebody is in the store and they say, Happy Holidays, you turn to them and you say, Bless you and Merry Christmas. You show that exuberant joy. You don't let our culture rob us of the greatest gift that God ever gave us. We need to recognize we are in a battle, but the battle belongs to the Lord. And just as He overcame Herod with the light of Jesus and birthed life, God wants to birth that life of Jesus in us this Christmas. Amen? He does. He wants to bring that joy and that love and that grace and that mercy and that peace of God. He wants to birth that in you because we are living in similar times as the time of Herod. And God chose that time when that great persecution was there, when that great evil was there in in positions of ruling over the nation. And God said, that's when I'm going to send my son the light of the world. Amen. Stand with me if you will. I want to ask our our prayer team if they would find places in the front and around the back of the auditorium. And if you have a need that you'd like for us to pray with you today, maybe you're struggling, maybe you feel like that hope is gone, that you don't have any hope for whatever situation it is. And you want to pray with one of our team saying, Lord, restore that hope in my heart to trust in you and to believe you for this situation. Maybe it's a physical need. I received a call yesterday from my sister who pastor, her and her husband pastor a small church in Texas. His name's Jeff Honeycutt. And he has double pneumonia and COVID. His oxygen level had dropped to 60, which means he was dying. And they rushed him to the hospital and he's still there in intensive care. But we've been bombarding heaven with our prayers. And we're believing that God's going to pull him through. And our hope is in Jesus. Our hope's in Jesus. Church, your hope is in Jesus today. So recognize the battle, but don't get distracted. Keep your focus on Jesus. He's your hope. He's our victory. Yes, we live in a time that's just like Herod where there are evil things taking place. But we are the light of the world because Jesus said He is the light of the world and He is in us. And He said that. He said, you are the light of the world to those that believed in Him. So we can take that light into the midst of the darkness. 
We don't have to worry. Our hope is in the Lord. I want you to bow your heads and let's just pray together for a moment. Lord, I just thank you today. Lord, that Herod didn't win. The spirit of Antichrist didn't win then. And it's not going to win now. Lord, there are multitudes of millions of people around the world that have given their heart to Christ, that love you, that live for you. And Lord, we're anticipating Christmas with a great, exceedingly great joy. And Lord, we know you're going to birth your life in our lives just like you birthed Jesus into the midst of that time. Lord, manifest your love and your grace and your mercy in our lives and through our lives. Lord, help us to advance the kingdom of Christ. Lord, help us to invite others to come, people that may not know you at all. And Lord, help us to live in hope. Because Lord, just as you won the battle then, we know that you're going to win the ultimate battle as well. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray that our people today would recognize that. And Lord, that we would just come to you come to you like little children, humble before you and in trust of you and faith in you and surrendered to you. And Lord, I just ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want you to join the worship team as they